And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The culture is the culture. It's 4-6A to six, A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4-6 to six with A&B, your Ohio State podcast here on The Athletic. Bill Landis with Ari Wasserman after what's felt like an eternity since we've last done, a, done an episode of this podcast. We uh, had some vacations get in the way. Uh, a little bit of time off, but I think from here it should be smooth sailing into what we still hope will be a 2020 college football season. And we'll be coming to you guys uh, once a week with our Ohio State podcast. A lot's happened since uh, the last time we spoke to you guys. Some recruiting stuff, some scheduling stuff. We're going to get into all that. Maybe if we have some time at the end, we'll get into some questions. But Ari, I'm just worried about your well-being. I haven't seen you or heard from you in so long. I don't know where you've been or what you've been up to. Or is everything okay? I don't know where you've been and where you've been up to. I... Uh Went to Las Vegas with my girlfriend um, for six days, which is a very long time, believe it or not, to be in Vegas. Um, and I know that sounds crazy during this time, but um, it was unbelievably clean and very thorough in terms of precautions. Obviously, it's not as ideal as staying in your house and never leaving, but um, some pool time, some separation, some quick gambling losses. Um, it was a good time. Uh Nice and relaxing. Wasn't the crazy type of Vegas that some people like? It was the more relaxing poolside, nice dinner Vegas. Was the crazy stuff still happening and you didn't you just didn't take part? Well, they have like first of all, you can't walk into any casino unless you pass a temperature test. So like you have to like they, they won't even let you in the building unless you have the, a normal size temperature. Um, restaurants had less um, table capacity, so like we went to nice dinners, but there wasn't anybody within seven feet of our table because the tables were spread out. Um, every like gambling machine has to be wiped down. And if somebody uses it, then you can't use it again until an employee wipes it down again. They have sanitizing stations. Um, every single table, you only have three players at a blackjack table, whereas you used to be able to have five or six and each player is like in its own, like plexiglass box. So like, it's like, obviously just inherently being around people is more of a, challenge just because these are big casinos and whatever but I would say that Vegas when we went was like at 30% capacity of what normal was and I've seen those videos on Twitter like everybody else about packed casinos without masks but we wore masks the whole time everybody was wearing masks and I felt like to be in that position uh, we did it about as well as you could in terms of taking proper precaution and and being thoughtful of other people I'm I'm glad that people were taking precaution um, but the most important question I think from this trip is did you go to a sports book and place any futures bets on college football I didn't no Um, actually most sports books were just like blacked out like they were open but like it wasn't like usually when you walk by you see them on the big board and you see like numbers and stuff and that really wasn't the case because there wasn't really much going on so um, They're not letting people b- place bets on the 1994 Texas Rangers Seattle Mariners game. Yeah, or uh, 
uh, simulations of NCAA 06. <laughs> there wasn't anything like that, but you know, the tables were still going and people were still playing machines. And, you know, I think it's just like Vegas is at a point now where either they open up or things start getting really uncomfortable for the employees and the entire city's economy. Um, but I thought it was like a very safe, no airplane needed from Phoenix type of situation. And, you know, it was a nice trip and I saw you were out in Philly and golfing. What were you doing? Uh, I went to Philly for a few days and then went to the Jersey Shore for a couple of days. Um, not nothing too crazy. Kind of a lot of the same stuff you're saying, like a little different. Um, people, for the most part, I think we're we're taking the health precautions seriously. But it's kind of weird. Like the place I go to in Jersey is a giant boardwalk with a bunch of amusement rides for kids and like arcades and all these games. Like all that stuff's closed. There's still people walking up and down the boardwalk, riding bikes, like trying to stay active and stuff like that. And, and some of the restaurants are open for for takeout, but there are just these like it's a it's a an amusement park for all intents and purposes like all the rides are shut down and all the games are closed and you just sort of walk around aimlessly with not much to do other than you know going to the beach which is not nothing but it's still a little different it was a little it was a little surreal to be there it's a place i've gone to my entire life i've been there almost every summer my entire life um, i uh, have and a it was very different very important question to ask you here dollaby was that pizza place you were telling me about open it was open. Uh, for, you smash. We got we got one pie. Uh, we were only there for three days. We got we got Sam's Pizza, Sam's Pizza Palace, to be more specific, in uh, North Wildwood, New Jersey, right on the boardwalk. Twenty six on the boardwalk uh, is the best pizza on the planet. I highly recommend it. So we got uh, we got a full pie, half pepperoni. It was pretty good. It was. It's always a nostalgia thing for me. It's one of those things where I don't actually know if it's that good, but I've been eating it my whole life, and it's my favorite, so I think it's awesome. Um, but it's classic, you know, New York style pizza. And we got one. I probably could have gone for maybe one or two other pies, but we got one before we got out of town. It was good. Okay, just making sure you you did what you go there for, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't really go there for the beach. I go there for the pizza, and usually yeah. the hoagies too. But I didn't. I didn't get one of those when I was there. Yeah, um, that's also it's very very. Uh, Eddie George would be mad at you. I know. Sorry, Eddie. He listens to this, by the way. Sorry, Eddie. Um, okay. The reason I asked you about the sports book in Vegas was because I was wondering, like, in a hypothetical situation, say, like, Ohio State and Alabama were playing each other home and home in seven years, like, what do you think the spread of that game would be? Yeah, it's the perfect question. Like, uh, which one is the which one is first, Ohio State's home or away first? First game is, it's not a hypothetical for anyone who doesn't know this, but uh, Ohio State and Alabama are playing home and home 2027-2028. The first game is 2027 in Columbus. I think Ohio State minus six and a half. Yeah, that seems about right. If it was a neutral field, like right now, if it was a neutral field, it'd be like a pick 'em almost, right? No, I think that I'm, I'd give Ohio State a three point favorite or advantage. Really? Uh, so six I just and like, a half at home? I mean, all we can do right now is use the information. This is such an awesome question because I love this kind of stuff. Um, but all we can do is use the information that we have right now to try to project six years into the future. And what I know right now is that, like, Alabama's recruiting class is number 25 in the country. Ryan Day is younger in his tenure. Nick Saban's older. And as you have pointed out many times, both on this podcast and through text, <laughs> Nick Saban is a wizard. And <laughs> maybe Mike coached at least 97 years old, for all we know. To be more but, specific, I've said Nick Saban is a vampire who doesn't Vampire. <laughs> a vampire. Uh, I think I use the word wizard. But the trajectories of the program right now, I think Alabama um, – they still might be on top of the mountain, and they still might stay there for a few more years, but I don't know if they're still going to be the Alabama that we know and love right now in six years from now. And I think that on paper, it, it seems good, and maybe they'll Alabama will find the perfect replacement for Nick Saban. And maybe Nick Saban will still be there. I don't know. He, he's in good shape and seems to have the program humming right now. But like I just in terms of trajectories of programs, um, Alabama is the king of the sport right now, but I don't know if they will be in six years. I think Ohio State, if Ryan Day is still the coach and if somebody you know held me to a guess right now I would say that he would be in six years that Ohio State will be a healthier program at home I'd give them three against Alabama who still might be a top 10 program at the time but if I were to set that line right now I'd lay six and a half it's that's like the, the fascinating part about this announcement to me is that one like usually when we get these things and we see these marquee home and home series which are happening with more regularity it seems like they're still announced like 10. 12 like sometimes even 15 years down the line the fact that this game the first one is happening in seven years is kind of remarkable uh, that, that both teams had an opening in that year and they're making it happen in relatively short order compared to how these things usually go and yet like we have no idea 
I think we have a better idea of what Ohio State might look like. We have no idea what Alabama is going to be, which I think is like the most fascinating part of all this is, you know, we don't we we, we can talk about the 2020 season and we can preview that really hard, but we don't know if we'd be doing that in vain or not just yet. But I think it's a little more fun to think about what things might look like in seven years when Ohio State and Alabama are going to kick off this home and home. Nick Saban would be what, like 80? <laughs> How old is Nick Saban right now? I think he's like in his upper 60s, isn't he? He's 68, so yeah, not quite 80, 76. He'd be 76. Ryan Day is significantly younger. Ryan Day's 41. So like the idea that Ryan Day would be at Ohio State is a little easier to wrap your head around than Nick Saban still being in Alabama, Alabama but I don't think it's impossible. We've seen guys coach into their 80s before, um, especially guys with legendary status like Nick Saban. Uh, do you, like, as you – when that game came out and you saw that they were playing each other – what were your initial thoughts like relative to Nick Saban actually still being in Alabama when that game happens? I mean, my initial thought was to tweet out the uh, office fire drill episode tweet, yeah. meme, you know, the it's happening tweet. Um, and I don't know if I necessarily consider the fact about whether or not Saban would be there. I think it's with well within the realm of possibility that he would be 75 years old and still be the head coach. Um, as long as he has an appetite and an energy to recruit the same level that he does. And as you've pointed out, <laughs> I, I think that this guy is a relentless recruiter and has a passion for the game. And, you know, if you're Nick Saban, I think this is the type of thing that can keep a man young. So um, I think there's a 50% chance there probably. And we don't cover Alabama, so we're not intimately involved in, you know, his family and what his wife, uh, Miss Terry, wants and, <laughs> you know, all the things that might go into play in terms of, of whether or not he wants to be there for another six, seven years. Um, but I, I think there's a, there's a legitimate chance. And um, the fact that, you never know exactly how good team is going to be in seven or 10 years when you schedule these. And that's sometimes why one time marquee matchups turn out to be bad. Like when Ohio state scheduled Miami, like that was a huge deal when they scheduled TCU, that was a huge deal. And, you know, in terms of programs keeping or having longevity in terms of being at the top, Alabama's built for that. Um, and I still think that Alabama is going to finish with the top three class this year. And I still think that, um, they're going to have enough talent to win a national championship next year. And until they start signing number eight class, the number 11 class, the number 14 class, I don't understand why anybody would ever think that this is going to slow down. So to a long answer to your short question is, yes, I think there's a, a distinct possibility that he'll still be the head coach, and I don't see that Alabama is slipping just yet. But six years is an eternity in this game, as you know. And, you know, I think I would bet on Ohio State being the stronger one long term than I would right now, just based on the simple fact of the age of the head coaches. It's, it seems to me that Ohio State, for as good as it's been under Urban, is ascending in some kind of way, especially when you look at the recruiting and Alabama is sustaining and has been for a really long time and, and they've been doing it for a decade. So there's no reason to think they couldn't do it for another decade as long as Nick Saban stayed there. Do you think if if Saban were to leave between now and twenty twenty seven, like they would have to take a dip, right? It would, it would it would not. It's hard for me to to envision a scenario where this game seven years from now is carrying the same magnitude that we feel at the moment if Nick Saban is not there. What if they hire Dabo? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, like, I what if they get Mario Cristobal? That guy's rocking shit on the West Coast right now. Yeah, well, he's <laughs> the one. That, he's the one that I think. Like, if 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 someone pinned me down and said like who are going to be the coaches in twenty twenty seven, I'd feel pretty good about Ryan Day still being at Ohio State because he's so young. Um, and I think I would pick Cristobal before I pick Dabo, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. Yeah, which I maybe runs a little counter to what other people would assume. Like, I don't, I don't like if you were Dabo, why would you leave Clemson? I know he went to Alabama, which is the obvious one, but in terms of like the program and what you're capable of doing there and resources, why, I don't know why you'd leave Clemson for Alabama. Well, I don't know. I've always wondered this and it's like the reason why we have jobs, but like, I always have wondered why people go to college and then time stops there. And then that's what they like identify with for the rest of their lives. Like, what is it about where you went to college that makes you want to be a fan of the place that you went to college for for 50 years? You know, it's just an interesting yeah. time because you're so young when you go. Like, why is it that people feel so attached to the place that they went to school or the memories or maybe longing, longing for childhood or I don't know what, what it is. But people carry on where they went to school, obviously, for the rest of their lives. And the reason why I bring this up is because there's might be a chance that Dabo Sweeney still loves Alabama. And if he wins another national championship or two in the next four or five years, and then Alabama 
breaks out the Brinks truck and says, come be the, pro- the, the returning son to keep this program going. I know that right now that they're like head-to-head rivals and those two programs are battling to be the number one program in America and maybe they'll play in the playoff again next year. But I think that you could make a rational decision or I mean a rational uh, hypothesis about why he would. I mean, people like change. People like new challenges. Maybe he'll have conquered the Clemson um, challenge at that point. If he has three or four national championships, he can make a choice. Be the new Nick Saban of college football and stay at the place that, you know, gave him his first shot or go back home and go to the place that he graduated from and continue on the legacy there. I think there's something appealing about winning national championships in multiple places. I think there's a chance of, you know, showing that not only you can build something, but you can maintain something great, especially if you went to school there. So I think the personal connection is always going to matter. Whether or not it matters to him is something only he can answer. But I could come up with many reasons why he would do that. Yeah, no, it would make it would make like I wouldn't, if he did it, I wouldn't be like, whoa, I can't believe he did that. Like, uh, there are obviously a lot of reasons it makes sense. I, I would just like it's it's also so obvious to me that I almost feel like it wouldn't happen. Um, but I also think like, but that's what Urban Meyer was like when he went to Ohio State. Yeah, that was so I, obvious it did happen. It depends on I guess if you're Alabama, and we'll talk about the Ohio State side of this in a minute. But if you're Alabama, it depends on what you like. Crystal Ball to me seems a little more Sabiny than Dabo um and obviously it's pretty dangerous road to go down if you're just trying to find a carbon copy of the guy who was the most successful coach ever um but I could see the crystal ball being I guess it depends on what he does at Oregon here he has Oregon humming pretty good it looks like they're they're going to be the power in the Pac-12 for the next couple of years and they still have to do it they have to win they're recruiting at an insanely high level but the you know the on-field stuff has to match the recruiting obviously but it feels like if he if he maxes out at Oregon which is winning the Pac-12, going to the playoff a couple times. Um, I would, I could see him being a more enticing candidate for Saban's successor than Dabo. They just seem yeah. a little more similar. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would say that he's recruiting at an unreal level right now. I mean, I think he's historically well for, for them they are. Yeah, historically for them, I guess. Yeah, um, and for the Pac-12, I mean, they're number six right now. Fourteen commitments, one five star, nine four stars. Um, you know, but they're still not even number one in their own conference. So, like, to, to take the Alabama job, um, I think that Oregon, at the very least, needs to make a return to the college football playoff. And I think that's definitely manageable, especially if they continue to acquire talent at this rate. But, you know, the fact is, too, if USC is going to sign better classes, then USC might still be the king of that conference. So, you know, again, we're, we're you know, just making long-term predictions but i do think that cristobal seems to be the most logical choice i don't think he has to win a national championship at oregon but i think if he takes him to the playoff twice or three times in the next six years which at this level with the way they're recruiting and the fact that their conference is down should be pretty attainable that he would be the logical and probably great solution there i mean and obviously the whole thing in this sport bill is everybody knows i'm passionate about is being able to acquire talent and he's more i think that's more important than winning i would rather take a coach that signed recruiting classes that are better than the average of that program for three or four years and take a coach that won 10 games one year out of nowhere. Like, I, I think that all these coaches are smart for the most part. I mean, I know in-game decision-making is, is difficult and, you know, whether or not you like going for it on fourth down or what to do in scenarios or going for two and all the things that go into coaching. I mean, there's a lot of intricacies there. But I do think that if you don't have the foundation of being an elite-level recruiter, you're not going to be a good coach, and he clearly has that. I mean, he's going into California and, and making Oregon um, the program that Chip Kelly you know, built there. And I don't know what Oregon's offense and all that stuff's going to look like or whether or not that uh, up-tempo uh, offense that people identify Oregon with is still going to be the case long-term there or whether that will work at Alabama. But I do think that given his past working at Alabama and his ability to acquire talent that he seems to make the best – you know, and it's like so funny too. It's we had this conversation three years ago in Alabama and Ohio State were had Urban and, and Saban. You know, you'd be like, I can't imagine Ohio State losing Urban. You know, what would they do? And they ended up finding a young guy who came in and like is killing it. And I think that Alabama, with a place that has the money, resources, the um, reputation, and I think is in a really good spot from a, a recruiting standpoint, where they're dipping into Florida and taking all the best players out of Florida and are. are located in the south that they have a good territory so who knows maybe there'll be a young guy in three years that we've never heard of the same way that we didn't hear of ryan day four years ago or five years ago it comes in and is the next guy so i think more so 
You know, Gene Smith always says uh, he always says that Ohio State's go bigger Bucks. than one person. He does say "Go Bucks," but he always says this, and he said it before Urban, and he said it after Urban, and it's true. Ohio State is bigger than any one coach or person. And as much as I sometimes roll my eyes when he says that stuff, especially because Urban Meyer was about as big as you can get. It's all about resources, athletic directors that are willing to, you know, make sacrifices, staff, salary numbers, location, tradition, what that logo means. I think that Alabama is going to be what Alabama is, or maybe at the worst, slightly less than what it is right now in six years. I think it's going to be a hell of a game. All right, let's do this. Uh, couple, couple things on a scale of one to ten, and I want your answer. Cool. Scale of one to ten, how confident you are that Alabama will still be among the top two or three programs in the country when this game happens nine yeah i'm at a nine two uh one to ten your confidence that nick saban will be alabama's coach in 2027 when the first game happens. six i think i'm a little lower i'm like maybe like a five or like a four and a half yeah um scale of one to ten how confident you are that ryan day will be ohio state's coach in 2027 eight i'm like a nine yeah. The thing that's funny with Ryan Day is like everyone everyone is like on alert for when he's going to make the jump to the NFL and I also think that he will eventually coach in the NFL. He's 41. Like he can coach he can coach at Ohio State for 15 years and still and be then, more than and yeah. then be at a very reasonable age to try to go to the NFL if he wanted to try to do that someday. So I'm not I'm not really much on alert for like Ryan Day as the head coach of the New York Giants in 2025. Well, like the thing about it is and the reason why I'm 8 and the thing with Ryan Day and I sat in his office and you have to, but right when I wrote that story where I went back to uh, um, New Hampshire to you know meet his family and tell people where he came from, everybody there identifies with the Patriots. Everybody loves the Patriots. And it's like if Ryan Day wins a national championship in two, three years, a couple, three, <laughs> a couple, three. years, um, and then Bill Belichick retires, like he's going to be the number one candidate for the Patriots. And I just like, as mu- awesome as it is to say, He's building a family in Columbus. He's got one of the best jobs in America. He said that he thinks Ohio State's better job than the Patriots on the record in that story. Go read it if you haven't. I don't know that I 100% know what he if he even knows what he would do in that scenario. So like 8 is a pretty good in a world of college football where things can happen so quickly and change so dramatically. I think 8's a pretty high number. It's pretty high. I was about to say, like, I don't know if I want to be the guy who has to go and replace a legend like Bill Belichick. And I thought, oh, you mean like replacing Urban Meyer? Urban Meyer? Yeah, (laughs) I saw you laughing. (laughs) What do you got that? We're doing this podcast for the first time away from each other where we can still see each other. And and my man over here is drinking out of a gallon jug, I think. Are we we trying to to put down a gallon a day or what? Trying to drink a gallon of water a day. Uh, I've been pretty successful with it, actually. I think I did it. I did it for like twelve days in a row, and then I didn't when I was golfing on a Saturday because there were some beers that were substituted in for the water. But for the most part, I've been pretty good about it. Um, what do you do? Just pace yourself? Yeah, go to the bathroom a lot. Um, yeah, flushing the toxins. Yeah, no, it's good. It's I, I. I'm not. I don't have to force myself to drink water. Like I, I drink water pretty regularly anyway, so it's not. I don't drink my calories. I got this big by eating my calories, mm-hmm. for the most part. Speaking of eating calories, uh, you want to you wanted to have a potato chip discussion on here? Yes, yeah. on, on this here episode of Four to Six with A and B. Real quick before we talk about potato chips, and we're going to talk about recruiting on the other side of potato chips. So stick with us. Uh, if you're not subscribed to the Athletic, please get subscribed at theathletic.com/slash/four-dash-six as we uh, start ramping up for the. 2020 football season. I'm going to have a story this week on Nick Petit Frere, um, sort of like getting to know a little more about the way he ticks from some people from, who have been around him both in high school and at Ohio State. And I thought there were some interesting things in there that I learned about him. Uh, that'll run this week. Um, Ari's got you're, – you're starting up a recruiting mailbag this week. Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, the national recruiting stuff has been um, working. People like it. I enjoy doing it. And my bosses have been gracious enough to let me dive into it. So um, – I'm still doing a recruiting mailbag, a recruiting stories, but I, I think a recruiting mailbag would be good. You know, people ask questions generally, and I like, as you know, if you listen to this podcast, just irrationally screaming about things all the time. And the thing I love about recruiting more than anything is that you can just theorize and, you know, come up with things, even if it's not 100% true. It's just like the discussion is the fun part. And um, I always like trying to figure out, you know, why Team A or Team B is doing this on the recruiting trail or you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. 
Hey, it's Ari here. We're going to get back to the show in a minute, but first, a word from our friends at Hydrant. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to the morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everybody has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com ab. That's drinkhydrant.com slash AB for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash AB. State of the program series is running. Uh, the high State one ran a couple weeks ago. We talked about that. Uh, Penn State went up on Monday when we're recruiting this. Michigan's ran last week. If you want to see what's going on with, with the two biggest contenders for Ohio State and the rest of the Big Ten. Um, I know not everybody is super geared up to read about COVID-19 and its impact on college football. But if you are, we have stories on that. Um, as well as uh, players sort of finding their voice here in, in a world where – not in a world, but in a time where the discussion about you know racial injustice has has – Reached a pretty high uh, fever pitch, I think, and there's a lot of people talking about it, and players are, are starting to understand that they can do and say things that I think shine a light on that. So we're writing stories about that as well. And again, you can read all of that at the athletic, theathletic.com slash four six. And also, if you wouldn't mind, please subscribe to four to six with AMB wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps us out as well. Leave a review if you can and you're willing. We appreciate that as well. Ari, school me on potato chips. I'm not schooling you. I uh, was in, uh, I, you know what else I did on my vacation, Bill? And people are going to be uh, surprised by this, but I climbed a mountain in Sedona and went up to this place called Devil's Bridge, where it was the most beautiful sight I've ever seen since the last time I looked in the mirror. And it was like amazing. Like <laughs> climbing up there was hell. But anyway, we went, my girlfriend and I, while both of us are kind of on a quest right now to drink a gallon of water and lose some weight, um, my girlfriend pushed me to go to Sedona and do this. And it was a fun day. But uh, on the way up, we stopped at Whole Foods because. I had to have the proper snacks, right? You know, cliff bars. I mean, I'm a hiker now. Like, it's a new lifestyle. Um, I was walking through the chip aisle because that's my natural habitat, and I found this 365 Whole Foods Market potato chip brand that I've never heard of because I don't buy my chips at Whole Foods. And it was an Italian hoagie flavor, and I sent it to Bill, and I was, like, excited because Bill, it seems like something Bill might would want to try, and he goes, Gross. And it like annoyed me. I'm like, gross. Come on, dude. You smash stuff like that all the time. He goes, no, it's disgusting. So I sent him another one that was pastrami on rye flavored, which, by the way, my girlfriend wouldn't let me buy because I'm dieting right now, but I would smash those chips. And Bill said they sound disgusting. I scrolled back up into our chat. He said, that sounds disgusting. Disgusting? Yeah. I, Some people I, put their chips on their sandwich. I put my chips on my sandwich. Which makes it even worse. No, because you're not the chip itself does not still taste like the sandwich. It is a salty, crunchy for texture addition to any good sandwich. I love putting chips on my sandwich. Let me ask you a few yes or no questions. Okay, hit me with it. Number one, do you like Italian hoagies? Uh, it is not my go-to hoagie, but yes, I will. Yes, I will eat an Italian hoagie with all the. Okay, two. Do you like pastrami on rye? Yes. Do you like crunchy, salty potato chips? I do. So does that that sound like the perfect marriage to you? I'm not saying I wouldn't try them if somebody had a bag and said, hey, try this. But if I was walking down the aisle and saw the bag, I wouldn't buy it myself. I think that's fair. I'm pretty conservative with my potato chips. I like My favorite is like a, is either a salt and vinegar or a salt and pepper chip. And then that's basically the only time I ever get outside of the realm of a normal potato chip. I think that what you just flavor. said is fair. The thing I took exception to was, wow, that's disgusting. Because those that are two very different harsh. things. It those are been two very harsh. different things. I, it's like, okay, I'll admit, I'll admit that I took it too far, and I was a little harsh. Yeah, and like sometimes I just feel like you just can't, you, I, you can't let me feel good. Like, I think that's also <laughs> part of it. If I text him on the side, everything's always like you're a jackass when he responds. But like, I don't know that I would buy these, but maybe I would because I like, you know how Lay's went through that t- time period where, and maybe they're still doing it, but like you go into a gas station and like every time you went into a gas station to like fill up your car or grab a water bottle, like they would have like weird new flavors. And I think there was even like a contest that they did where people like wrote in 
their favorite type of potato or like their new concept for potato chips. And they had like corned beef and they had uh, chicken and waffles and macaroni and cheese bites and all sorts of crazy flavors. Like I always like was tempted to try them. And I think I did buy a few of them, you know, and it's just like, it's the same thing with like burger places. They always have to come up with new concepts and new things to try to like fool you into buying it. Pizza Hut is the king of that. They constantly, (laughs) they have seven ingredients and they make 9,000 menu items out of those seven ingredients. And guess what? It's all the same shit. Um, And for the most part, um, now Taco Bell is the king of that. Yeah, Taco Bell's worse. Um, But I do like, I I love chips. And like when Andy Staples had me on his podcast uh, a month ago or so, we ranked the best road trip snacks. And my number one road trip snack was regional chips. Um, which I think you might agree with. I like trying potato chips in the region that you can't get like wherever you live. And like the perfect example of this was like Maryland. They had like crab cake flavored potato chips. It's like you can't go to Kroger right now and get crab cake flavored potato chips. And we ate them. Uh, did you eat them? I can't remember. They were given no, away in the press box I didn't uh, for the Maryland game. Or it was maybe it's been, God, it's been like six years since then, but they were giving them away for sure at the Navy game in Baltimore. When Ohio State, that was your first game ever on the beat. That was my first game. I was terrified. And I more fondly remember the chips than our relationship uh, starting that day. But um, I love that stuff. I love trying different things, and that, like that sounds appetizing to me. But I understand, too, walking down the chip aisle, there are a million things that you know are great, so why veer out of there? And like I can respect that. Just don't say they're disgusting. That was offensive. Okay, I apologize. I apologize to you, and I apologize to Big Potato Chip for, for saying that those were disgusting without having tried them. Um, I, I respect your point of view, and uh, I think we're all a little better for having hashed this out. And I also think that uh, I might have come up with a good wedding gift for my man here who's getting married <laughs> potato, on August potato 1st. Potato chips. <laughs> well, maybe, you know, like a card, some cash, and a bag of potato chips. Your presence is the present. Okay, <laughs> deal. <laughs> Inserts $100 back into the ATM. <laughs> All right, let's talk about recruiting. Uh, some couple commitment commitments away from Ohio State. I, I think a couple guys that were reasonably considered. I think Ohio State leans at one point. One maybe a little more surprising than the other. Let me just run through some names that you've heard us talk about before. I think on this podcast that have since committed elsewhere since the last time we recorded. Uh, the more off the radar one was Javari Ritzy, defensive end who committed to UNC, and like there was a time where he was mentioned with Ohio State, but I, I don't think that was ever too serious. He committed to North Carolina, not the biggest deal in the world. Uh, Jalen Davies is a cornerback that we have talked about quite a bit from modern day in California, who committed to Oregon, and we can talk about the ramifications of that. Hudson Wolf, uh, tight end, committed to Tennessee, and it felt for a while like they they would like him to be the number two tight end in the class, along with Sam Hart. That's not happening now. But the big one was J.C. Latham, the five-star offensive tackle, committing to Alabama. Uh, And that seemed to shift pretty dramatically and fairly quickly, I think, sort of once things got shut down, going from a recruitment where Ohio State looked like it was in pretty good shape to one where now I don't even know if the way you'd be able to get back in with J.C. now that he's committed to Alabama. So let's start with that one, Ari. The the idea of of losing J.C. Latham, not only losing him, but maybe losing him to Alabama – I don't know if that makes it sting anymore or not, but but how big of a loss is this for Ohio State, and where do they go next? You know, I, I think, too, that I was arguing, uh, guess what, about Arizona State football and recruiting on uh, Twitter last week before my vacation, and um, Barton Simmons from 247 Sports and I like kind of went back and forth a little bit, not so much an argument, but just a discussion. And he said, I'm not judging any program until the wave of decommitments happens. So, like... That's a really good way of putting it because, like, this is all kind of like, you know, in recruiting, everything's always in flux. Uh, I think it's even more in flux now because people are making commitments, uh, saving spots in classes. People haven't visited. I think there's going to be a lot of change. I don't think that's necessarily the case with JC because these are two of the best programs in America. But I do think and have been under the impression that JC Latham wants to take official visits if and when they're allowed again. So if he's committed to Alabama right now, that's a blow to Ohio State. There's no question. Um, will he take an official visit to Ohio State? Because if he ends up taking an official visit to Ohio State, this commitment doesn't mean anything to me. Like, it's going to get yeah. exciting. It's going to get weird. And, like, I think people always just assume that once somebody commits that it's over with. I mean, there was a man who just committed to Florida for the third time this week, <laughs> and I'm trying to get a story on that. Um, and he was once an Ohio State target, Kamar Wilcoxon. 
So, like, to me, I don't think that he's completely off the board. I think maybe it's 30% or 25% chance of getting him rather than the 75% I felt like a month ago. But I think that if they can still get him on campus, they still have a chance. I, th- I think so, There's too. There's no visits it's, happening right now. You know how quickly this stuff can change. Yeah, I think it's it's not it's not apples to apples. with Like, Jalen Davies committing to Oregon is the byproduct, I think, of, of visits being shut down, one, because he couldn't come to Ohio State. And we, we've talked before about how important it was for him to come here. Two, the fact that Ohio State took Denzel Burke re- not too long ago to fill a cornerback spot in the class. And, like, at the moment, the corners they're looking for, I think, are more luxuries than they are, like, got to have them kind of needs. Um but if things open back up, I can certainly see Jalen Davies being a player that Ohio State might want to roll the dice on and get back in with and probably have a pretty good shot at getting. J.C. Latham feels different to me. Like, J.C. Latham, you'd be doing that because, like, you kind of need him. It's not, yeah. It's not. you know, you're not luxury hunting cherry on top of what's going to be the number one class in the country. Like, you need – they got Parrish Johnson. The offensive line recruiting has been better. Um, their number of linemen was good last year. I would quibble with the quality of it a little bit in terms of there being a lot of developmental guys. I think you need more guys like a Paris Johnson or like a Latham who are going to show up and be ready to go in a year or two. So that is, it's sort of, it's not imperative that they get one in this class because they do have Donovan Jackson. They have Ben Chrisman, but they would be helped a lot if they could get alignment of that ilk. And it looked for a long time that like Latham was going to be that guy. And then things flipped, like I said, pretty dramatically. And that is like more urgent to me than anything else kind of going on in this class right now is can they get Latham or a guy like Latham to come in and jump on board in this class? Yeah, no, I think that that's that's a good point. And obviously, aren't both of Ohio State's commitments on the offensive line right now guards? This Christmas, I think I I think I view them as kind of swing guys. Uh, I I think maybe ultimately, if I had to pick right now, I I would say they probably both end up being guards. I think either one could have the capability of kicking out and playing tackle. Yeah, I mean, Chrisman's 6'6", 299, right? I mean, that's yeah. is that Jackson, not tackle's body. I know Jackson's a little bit uh, shorter, but he's still 6'4", 310. Yeah, and he's a five, he's, he jumped up. He's the number one guard. In, they recently did an update. He's the number one guard in the country, number 21 overall player, five-star prospect. Like He is among the best offensive prospects they, they have signed when he does sign in December. Yeah, so, I mean, losing a guy – like when you have a five-star prospect – like Latham in the mix and you're leaning towards getting him, I would make the argument that I don't even care what his position is or what the need of the position is. Getting a guy who ranks in the top 50 nationally or top 30 nationally in your class is what keeps your program elite. And losing out on that is a huge blow. Um, and Ohio State now has what? They have four uh, five-star prospects committed, uh, one of which is a quarterback, one is a running back, and one's an offensive lineman. I, can, I think you can see that the future of this offense seems to be in a good place, but adding a five-star prospect that ranks the same way that Paris Johnson did last year, the year after that happened would have been huge. And I think that Ohio state is going to continue to treat it that way, which is why I I think as we sit here in June, six months away from national signing day, if they can get that kid on campus, he once liked Ohio state a lot. People all thought that he was going there for a reason. You know how quickly this stuff changes. I, I think it'll be fun. It'll be dramatic. That's what we love about recruiting. And I think there's still a chance there. Is this the, because of how weird things are at the moment, like th- this is a very hot topic of discussion two years ago, really with Jackson Carmen, like what happened in the 2018 class about like Greg Stoudrawa and his ability to recruit at the level necessary at Ohio State. And I understand that this is a totally different climate than that. No one's ever had to recruit in a situation like this before. So given that, like, is this any kind of referendum on Greg Stoudrawa for you? The fact that they did look like they were in a very good spot for Latham and now they're on the outside looking in, or is it just so strange that you wouldn't take it that far? I mean, what did he sign? Greg Stoudrawa signed uh, the number two center in the country last year and the number one offensive tackle who's a top 10 player. Um, And, you know, I do think that we've had some discussions about uh, guys like Trey LaRue and some of the the lower – uh, rated players from Ohio that were on the offensive line, like Grant Tutan and uh, who's the other one? Oh, Joe Royer. Jacob so James. Uh, Jacob James. Like I, I think that you know it'll be interesting to see how these guys develop because you have to trust your position coach to to make those decisions in terms of developmental prospects and whether or not he thinks they can be something. And Ohio State has had a hell of a lot of success recruiting these types of prospects and turning them into really good players long term. Um, but losing out to Alabama um, during a global pandemic where the player that you thought was going to go to Ohio State can't visit just seems like it's a tough break. Like, I, I don't know if I'm ready to get back on the 
uh, Greg Studrarl can't recruit bandwagon yet, especially considering the fact that he did go to Houston, a place that Ohio State never has successfully recruited, um, and got a top 21 player in the country and the number one guard in the country. Like, I do think that there's some – if he lost him to a, a team like Tennessee or something, I might, you know, think – but he lost him to Saban. Like, that happens. And it's yeah. not over yet. Uh, and that's the other thing. Like, I, I, I like – we love talking about stuff in the middle of the class, and it's certainly great fodder. But I don't think that you can truly 100% judge a recruiter until they're signed. So things look great. I think that Latham is still going to be in the mix. And like right now, I think he's a hell of a lot better than it was two years ago. Yeah, I agree. And I'm not I'm not to that level yet either. But <clears throat> I, I do think like when, when Latham went to Alabama instead of Ohio State, it was a loss for sure. I don't want to undersell that. But it wasn't like red alert what's happening it's on some level understandable, and if things open back up, we'll see what happens. But you talked about like you know Grant Tutant and Trey Larue and Josh Fryer. It's like you, I, I have said before, and I will always maintain that it is important to bring guys like that into your program. You can't keep loading up on guys like that. Like I'm sure that there are a, a offensive linemen in the state of Ohio right now they could go get and get commitments from and like hit their number and feel okay about depth with offensive line in in the wake of losing a guy like J.C. Latham. But if you look at tackle, like Thayer Munford's gone after this year. Um, I don't think Nick Petit would be like one and done. So maybe you get two more years out of him. Absolutely could though. Like, I mean, could it's it's yeah. not out of the realm of possibility. And then you have Paris Johnson, who's great and I think will be a very good player at Ohio State. And Dewan Jones, who everyone loves, but is still like a very much a developmental guy too. It's like once you get past Paris Johnson, looking past this season, you have a lot of guys who you don't know a ton about who are all ranked fairly low. And it's not even about where you're ranked; it's just about like how long it's going to take you to get ready to play. And guys like Latham have an accelerated process in that for the most part. Absolutely, yeah. And I th- like I think it is fairly urgent to get somebody else like that. Uh, do you do you how what is your level of urgency with bringing in another highly rated offensive lineman who won't need three years to develop in the program i think it's pretty high urgency and this is gonna be a good story maybe you should write it um just the idea that you don't want to have to rely on a developmental prospect to ever have to play in year two and i don't know if it's fair to maybe they don't view those four guys that we just discussed as developmental guys but i think it's pretty clear that they are and if you're in a situation where one of those guys has to be ready Year two, that's not a good situation. Now, you have four players. Will one of them be good enough to, to be a starting tackle? Like, absolutely. Like, I think that you can count on one of them maybe being ready, but I don't think you need you want to have to. So, um, you know, there are, there's a Tristan Lee offensive tackle who's the number 11 overall player in the country um, who is similarly rated um, that I think could, could be a nice addition to their board. I think Ohio State is definitely going to be in a situation – where they're still kind of recruiting Rocco Spindler. Uh, he's a guard, but he's also 6'5", 315. I mean, there are other players on the board that if things start, and then Garrick Dellinger um, is another name too um, from Michigan, who's an offensive tackle, top 80 player, who's recently recruited Ohio State and is his top list. They have options. So I would say that given the way that this class is coming together, Bill, that it's really urgent. Because you don't want to sign one of the greatest classes, if not the best class in recruiting history, and then still feel weak in two years because you don't have the right player. Uh, and considering the fact that they've got those three players I just named who are all top 100 players nationally, and the fact they can still get Latham on campus, if they can't get one more, then I think that would be a big problem. Yeah, I think, you know, problem I, I agree, not, you know, not totally disruptive because I guess you could try to make it back up in, in 2022 and – there's some good, really good Ohio prospects in 2022 that are also going to be pretty highly ranked national prospects that, that are going to go a long way in shoring up the future of Ohio State's offensive line. But you don't want to wait for that. You want to try to get it done in 2021 and not have to make up for, for past mistakes in future classes. Um, the idea of... That's a good name of a book that you should write. I don't remember what I just said. Don't make up for mistakes with future classes. Don't make up for past mistakes with future classes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We write that down. <laughs> Sounds like a biography to me. Uh, do they need another tight end in this class? Sam Hart's in. Hudson Wolf goes to Tennessee. Do they need a second one? They want a second one. I, I don't know if they need one. I mean, tight end seems to be – I don't know. You're like the X's and O's guy, and I say that on every podcast. Like, mm-hmm. how important is it that Ohio State has two really good tight ends in the same class? Like, they have that other that other tight end, uh, Demetrius uh, Crownover from Grandview, Texas, um, who's been on their board. I don't know how close Ohio State is with them or him. But, like, I feel like it's the most over-recruited position that they have. And, like, yes, think, there's some guys going. Yeah. But, like, between 
what they have on their roster and heart coming in, like, is there really a need for a second one? Like, when you look at the depth chart moving forward, the the big question with tight end is is how much they want to play with twelve personnel moving forward. Um, they did it a lot last year. It was I I looked these or had one of our editors look up these numbers through Sports Info Solutions when I wrote State of the Program. So. I believe in 2017, it was like 3% of the time they played with two tight ends. In 2018, it was 10% of the time. And then last year, it was more than 20% of the time that they played with two tight ends on the field, which is a pretty dramatic increase. It's not an all-the-time thing, but it was clearly something they wanted to be part of their package last year in a way that it hadn't been in previous years. Now, is that because they had J.K. Dobbins and a new quarterback and a really good athletic offensive line, and they knew they are going to be more of a run-oriented team, and that's where he wanted to go? Or is this like a philosophical kind of shift where Ryan Day likes what playing out of 12 personnel gives you? And if that's the case, then I think you do need another tight end because Luke Farrell and Jake Hausman are gone after this year. Is Jeremy Rucker, Rucker gone with him? So Rucker to junior, he's draft eligible. I'm, yeah. I, there, we've seen questions, and I think other people have been talking about, like, is – this is the same shit we talk about every year. Like, is Jeremy Rucker going to catch 40 passes this year? Like, I don't think he is, but I also don't think he would have to to decide he wanted to go to the NFL. Especially because so Ohio State's had a lot of success in the NFL with tight ends who didn't catch the ball a lot. Right. In so college. I'm I'm like I'm I'm still torn on that. I don't know what Jeremy Rucker's going to do, but it's certainly on the table that he could go pro. And like Kate Stover's uh Oh, go ahead, finish your point. Sorry. If it's okay. If if Rucker doesn't go pro, I think you're fine. If Rucker does go pro which I guess this could be a situation where Ohio State tries to feel that out during a season. We've seen that before, and then makes a late run at a tight end. But say he does go for the sake of this argument. Then it's uh, Cade Stover, who's never played the position before, Joe Royer, who's coming in as a true freshman this year out of Cincinnati Elder, and Sam Hart, who's coming in a 2021 class. You have three tight ends on your roster. Um, I think you kind of need four anyway, just like as a base level existing in college football. I think you maybe get by with three. I guess you also have Cormonte Hamilton, who they moved to defensive tackle. You could always try to move him back if you're in dire straits. Um, but I kind of think they need a second tight end in this class. Yeah, I mean, if they're only going to have three on the roster, if Ruckert goes, and I think you have to have an insurance policy, but I think what Ohio State's probably going to end up doing is exactly what you just said. You know, play Ruckert during the year, um, gauge him the temperature out a little bit. I think a lot of times Ohio State has a really good idea of what's going to happen by week five. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what a tight end has to do in order to be a leave early draft pick. Like, does he have to catch that Wisconsin one hand pass in the Big Ten championship game, or does he have to just be like a really badass blocker and reliable body type that could fit that position? Because it's like, I think Ruckert is athletic enough to be a really good NFL tight end. I just like, has Ohio State ever had a tight end leave early for the draft? Like, or did all, mm. like, I don't even know, like, Hireman and even Vanette, they were seniors, weren't they? Hireman and Vanette were, yeah, both both stayed their entire career. Uh, before that, Marcus Ball stayed his whole, whole career. He that's a good story, player. too. Why don't tight ends leave early to the NFL if that's a trend? I just made it's, that up it's, in my it's head. It's a funny thing, too, because if you talk to draft people, it's always about it's always traits over production, and clearly Ohio State tight ends don't have the production. But, like, Jeremy Ruckert has the traits. If right. you looked at that guy on film, like, oh, yeah, he's going to play in the NFL. And I don't know why... I don't know why you'd feel the impetus to be more productive in that position if if you if your traits are going to get you drafted anyway. But I guess it could be the difference of like he's good enough to get drafted in the fourth round on his traits. But if it ever came together and they actually used him like that, he could maybe be a first or second round pick if he produces. Yeah, I so. mean, I guess there's two schools of thought with a tight end: either you're Rob Gronkowski or you're a middle tier fantasy tight end. Like, how many tight ends in the NFL are there right now that are like top five round draft picks? Like three. Yeah, and, and I'm talking about like production in the passing game. Yeah. Um, you know, and Travis Kelsey, obviously. It's like, I don't know. Is, is Jeremy Rucker Travis Kelsey? Like, or is he more like Hireman? Like, I don't, like, know. Because, like, that catch he made in the Big Ten Championship game was one of the most athletic plays that Ohio State player made all year. So, I like, I don't. He, yeah. Go ahead. I don't know, like, what, how do you, like, I don't know how you go back and identify what he is. Like, what did Travis Kelsey look like in college? Like, was he an 80 reception guy? Like, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I just, you know, and here goes the Google machine. <laughs> I, I love watching you because I can hear you doing it, but now I can watch you doing it. You see the eyes light up and I can. Yeah, I see the eyes. Like, can I go Google this? In college reference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Travis Kelsey at Cincinnati caught uh, one pass in 2009, 13 passes in 2011, and 45 passes for 722 yards. Which, would be, which would be a huge season for an Ohio State tight end, right? I think it might be the record if he did that, yeah, for receptions in a season by a tight end. 
So, but, but I yeah. think he, I think he trends more in that direction for sure. Like if you watched him out of high school, like we all felt like this is it, here he comes, and it hasn't been that yet. And it's not to say that it won't be next year, but they also have a lot of receiver talent, and he can't. They all can't be guys who catch forty passes in the offense. So I'm also really keeping my eyes on Tennessee's recruiting class. You know, now that we're doing like our uh, national stories that I have to like pay attention to everybody. Um, I think there's a chance that. Tennessee has become like a placeholder uh, commitment place for everybody. Um, and I think there's a chance that they might lose six or seven players out of their class. And granted, uh, Wolf, um, who is the number one rated tight end, I think, on Rivals, um, is a top 220 player nationally, number eight tight end in the composite rankings, um, could have gone to Ohio State now. So I don't know why he would later. But like that is a take now type of prospect. He's like a good enough 6'6", 240. You want him in your, you want him in your program now. Um, but if things start to come undone a little bit over there in Knoxville, I think there's a chance Ohio State could take another run at him too. So, um, yes, I like the idea, and there's a distinction between take the the highly rated player right now that you know is good, um, or wait till the season and see if you can get into somebody late. Um, like I don't know if like another type of, like Royer type of um commitment is what Ohio State's looking for, but I think it would be enough if that's what they ended up getting. It is kind of funny, just as like a quick tangent. The ten, like Tennessee is number three, has a number three class in the country. Have twenty three commits. Their player average is pretty low for a team that's ranked that high. But they're they have been hot. If you, if you want to quibble with the quality of player, but I feel like the entire time it's been happening, everyone's just been like, just wait, it'll blow up. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing about it is that the the average quality of player is five full points behind Ohio State and four like. It's like they're hot right now because of the number of commitments they're getting. And the one thing that the reason why I've been giving them a lot of credit is they also have two five-star prospects that are committed in the top 35 overall. And like having top-end talent I think is necessary in the SEC. So even if their bottom half of their class is like what it usually is, I do think they should get some credit for having a five-star prospect. Um, And one fringe five-star prospect from Alabama committed. Whether or not those guys sign with Tennessee is like the thing that – I'm really excited to see happen, but like just going off on the tangent, Tennessee is number three behind Ohio State and Clemson. North Carolina is number four behind those three. Like what North Carolina is doing is far more impressive and is more sustainable than I think what Tennessee is doing. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, what do you make of Jalen Davies going to Oregon? the possibility that Ohio State might want to get back involved with him. It seems like for a while, like the top defensive back on the board has been Derek Davis from outside yeah. of Pittsburgh, the safety. I don't really know how Davies fits into this picture, but he's off the board technically to Oregon. Do you see them getting – you know, you've talked with Jalen before. Does he seem to you like someone they try to get back involved with if visits are permitted to happen at some point before a guy signed? I think that they would have gotten him if they would have been patient. So that, um, you know, kind of gives you an idea of like where Ohio State is. And, and taking Burke, you know, because Davies is a really good player. And like he told me, the number one thing he wanted to do the second that he was able to do it was to go visit Ohio State. And like it seemed that like he was saying, let me go visit them. And if it is like what I think it is right now, that I'm going to commit to them. It's like kind of like the reading between the lines answer that I got when I was talking to him. Um, but I do think that at this point right now, the only defensive back that Ohio State absolutely needs to have um, is Davis. And I know that's confusing because they've got similar last names, but Davis is um, going to be probably picking between Ohio State and Penn State. And that's a huge uh, recruitment for Penn State because obviously it's another Pennsylvania product that is really highly rated and it's uh, down to another Big Big Ten East rival. Um, But I think Ohio State wants to add that safety. I'm not sure if Davies is the top of their list. But depending on how the recruiting class, you know, shapes up, it's like these are the kind of the hardest things to answer. Because like, what if Ohio State doesn't take a second tight end? Then they'll have another room for another luxury pick at corner. They might like, like that's how quickly stuff changes. So um, right now, I would not guess that he's going to be in their class bill. But I do think that depending on how things shake out, that that they are going to want to get him on campus potentially. And if he ever comes on campus, then I think stuff could change really quickly. What was your view? I guess like on the on the dynamic there because it felt like to me that. It was Ohio State who felt like the visit might have been more important than Jalen, but I didn't talk to Jalen. Like I feel like Ohio State could have had him if they would have just pushed for him without the visit. 
Yeah, like if like Ohio State would have called him and said, "Hey, we're going to take Burke if you don't commit right now." Yeah, like I think it's possible they still could have gotten him. And like I like I was like DMing with him a little bit. Um, I could probably go find the transcript, but um, my understanding was I really like he was in a position of like I really like Ohio State. Um, my number one priority once we're allowed to visit is to go to Ohio State, and if things check out, then I want to go to Ohio State. Okay. Um, but also too, that was a month ago or six weeks ago, so. Things change uh, really quickly, as you can tell. So, uh, but you know, Ohio State has proven that they aren't necessarily keen on getting kids to visit. I mean, they didn't need Henderson to visit. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah, Burke didn't visit either. They're, yeah. Those are the two guys. Yeah. So that's what this makes me think like they they just decided they liked Burke more. I think it was more of a Davies thing, based on my understanding and my conversation with him. But again, too. What kids tell you on the phone isn't necessarily the reality. It's just their reality. So, yeah. you know, and, uh, it's tough to decipher sometimes. Tony Grimes just put five-star corner, put Ohio State in his top five. I still don't – like, it doesn't – it's never really felt to me like Ohio State was going to win that, but I guess they're technically still in the mix. I don't think they need a corner. Like, corner corner to me at the moment, once I got Burke, corner became a luxury. Um, and not to say that Davis couldn't – or Davies couldn't find a role here, and obviously you t- would take Tony Grimes too, but I think they're okay at cornerback if they wanted to stand pat. Yeah, no, I think they are too. I think they need a safety. Um, And, you know, I know a lot of times when they are recruiting, they're recruiting corners to play safety. And, you know, I don't know. But Davis seems to be like a pretty high-rated kid and somebody that a lot of, you know, recruiting experts are really high on. So, uh, to me, it seems like to be the more more of the priority right now. Yeah. Um, I think that's all the recruiting to. It's Ritzy. Like I said, like Ritzy was a name that had been mentioned, but it's not a, you know, they're on on bigger fish there, I think. Well, my first mailbag is tomorrow for the National Recruiting Mailbag. And, like, I'm going to be curious to ask you this, Bill. But somebody said, well, now that uh, Latham is gone to Alabama and Ohio State's still kind of in a pretty big mix right now with uh, JT Tui Maloa. Is that – I say that right? I think it's Tui Malau, I think. Tui Malau? Yeah, that sounds right. You're always better at pronouncing things than me. And, and Emeka Agbuka? Agbuka? That was just a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> I know how to pronounce his name, but – Two kids. I, oh, by the way, I cannot wait to slam Washington for losing three out of the top four. <laughs> this is outrageous. Like it, it's like God came down and said, "Washington, you can be good. Just get these players." And it's like, God. I mean, like I would be infuriated if I were a Washington fan. But two of Ohio State's top remaining targets um, in uh, the twenty twenty one class are two kids from Washington. One's a defensive end, defensive tackle. I don't know where he projects completely. And Egbuka, who is the number eight overall player, number one receiver in the class, both seem to be trending towards Ohio State. Someone asked me, and I'll ask you, um, and then I'll plagiarize what you say in my column tomorrow. But uh, what do you think the importance of Ohio State landing these two top five guys are to like get this class to where people thought they would be? Do you think there's a lot of pressure to get these guys? Um, how does Ohio State need to feel about getting and finishing with these two players? I think there's there's probably more pressure maybe to get a guy like. Uh, I'm just going to call him JT. Um, like, if you don't get Emeka Ibuka, and he's he's obviously very good. He's 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 number one receiver, right, in the class? Yes, he is. He, yeah. If you don't get him, I'm not going to pretend like, oh, whatever, you didn't get the best receiver in the country. But, like, they got the best receiver in the country in the last class and recruited four top 100 receivers. Like, they'll be okay. And they have Jack Sawyer in this class, too. But they don't – you know, the, the defensive end pipeline, I think, is not quite to the level that – You've come to expect at Ohio State. We can talk about the Boses and, and Chase Young and those kind of guys to get like Jack Sawyer and JT Tui Malau in the same class. And, and JT might even be a guy who can kick inside and play like a three tech, like a Draymond Jones kind of guy. Here's some versatility there with him too. I think that is a more impactful, important recruit than um, Egbuka would be to Ohio State's long term success. Uh, so that would be a bigger loss to me than Egbuka would be. If you miss on both, I think the air comes out of the balloon a little bit because they've long been considered the favorite, I think, for both guys, or at least leading in some regard for both guys. Especially now that uh, Stilato committed to Clemson. Stilato went to Clemson, right. So the idea that, like, you'd be in kind of the driver's seat for both and then in the end not close when, you know, this is supposed to be an elevated form of recruiting, even relative to what we've seen recently – it would not be great. It wouldn't. It wouldn't ruin things and be a complete damper on what they've done. I think they'd still probably. F- I guess it depends on where they go. Like if if Kabuka for some reason decided he wanted to go to Clemson or Toby Malo decided he wanted to go to Clemson, which I don't think would happen with either of them. Um, neither one of those guys I think are going to go to a place that would p- 
push a team ahead of Ohio State for number one. So if your concern is, will they get the number one class, I'm not on alert for them losing that status. In terms of long-term impact and just talent in your program, I think losing a guy like JT would be pretty important. Yeah, no, I so I went and looked this up because I thought there was a chance for in my head that Ohio State was going to sign top five of the top ten players um, in the class. There is. There, in the, five? In the, in the new 247 rankings, not the composite. No, I, I only think, go by composite. I know. that. Well, I yeah. tweeted this out. I tweeted it out last week. Um, composite, no. Like 247s. and oh, I think 247s evaluations are typically the best. Um, so I don't think it's nothing, but I agree with you. Composite matters more. Yeah, no, it's not nothing. Um, but since the modern day uh, recruiting began being tracked in the year 2000, a team has signed three top 10 players nationally nine different times. So nine times in over 20 years. In 2004, USC signed four of the top 10 composite players. And I just to make a, a note of this, I don't know how accurate composite was in like 2005 um, or like how like the numbers have stacked up when I go back and look at it now, like how like accurate that stuff is, but that's just what I found. This year, both Georgia and Ohio State are positioned to sign three of the top 10 players nationally. So like to me, like winning the recruiting crown is one thing, but like Doing it like with an exclamation point, I think, is huge, and I do think that that stuff matters just in the world of, of like trends and momentum in recruiting. Like, if Ohio State signs three or four of the top ten players in the composite rankings, that's huge. Not only for the influx of talent under the roster, but I think in just in terms of being taken seriously and uh, moving forward on a national scale. Not that they aren't now, but you do that once, it's easy to do it again. So. To me, I think they absolutely, 1,000% with all the stuff that everyone's saying about best recruiting class ever needs to at least get one of them. Especially now, because like the expectation at one point was that they might get Latham, Tuimalo, and Egbuka all in the same class. And that was going to be five of the top ten players. That's, that's That'd be nuts. pretty crazy. That'd be nuts. But they can still do, like, say they get say they get Tuimalo and Egbuka, and, like, hypothetically, they either flip Latham or they get Tristan Lee. And they already have Trevion Henderson. Like Damon Payne, a defensive tackle from Michigan, is a guy that they've been a little linked with. I don't know how realistic that is for them, but then you're talking about, you know, still six or seven of the top twenty players in the country. Yeah. And Donovan yeah. Jackson's just on the outside of that at number twenty one. Yeah, and like also, did you say uh Tristan Lee, did you say that or did I missed it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think he's kind of a Clemson lean right now, but that might be an interesting thing to track. And like even if you go out to the top twenty five, because McCord is in the top twenty five. Ohio State could land six or seven players out of the top twenty-five. Like that's, I mean, it's still in the world of absurd, but you know, I do think that again, top five players overall nationally, um, including two of the top three, both of which are on the defensive line. I think that I agree with you that um, Tui Malo is uh, Tui. I want. Let's get this right together. Tui Malau. Tui Malau. Tui Malau. Or it could be Tui Maloao. Tui Maloao. I'm going to call him and just ask him. Let's get him on the phone like, hey, man, how do you say your last name? And then he tells you like, all right, cool, thanks, bye. He was projected to be a defensive tackle, and then now is a strong side defensive end, so I don't know what happened there. Yeah, I think he's one of those classic like strong side three technique kind of guys. Yeah. He could be either one. He's 277. I mean, Ohio he's State was dude. even in there with Foreman at one point. Like, I don't know. I, I know that they're like basically dead in that recruitment, or it seems like it, but man. There was like a legitimate chance that they could have signed the top three players on the defensive line in one class. Like they were at one point. I mean, they're they're just it's insane. I don't want to ramble, but it's insane. It's crazy to think they're doing that with, you know, Larry Johnson perennially on the uh the edge of retiring every year. Yeah. Ohio State finds a way to overcome. Mm-hmm. How about it? It's All somebody right, we'll, somebody made a deal with the devil. <laughs> we'll wrap up there. We'll uh Maybe do we, I said we were going to do questions. I always say we're going to do questions, and then we never do them. So I'm just going to stop saying we're going to do questions, um, and maybe we'll get them some other time. We will. We're going to get into a regular rhythm, I think, again with this. Sorry, you're not going to Vegas again this week, are you? I might. Okay. Well, if you do, bring your microphone so we can do a podcast. I volunteered. Let's put this on record because this podcast is the most important thing I have going on in my life right now. I volunteered to do it on vacation. You guys said no. He did. People shouldn't have to work when they're on vacation. But that is true. You did do that because you love the pod. But we'll be with you guys uh, more regularly moving forward uh, at least once a week. We'll see about maybe adding uh, extra shows here um, periodically. Maybe try to line up some more interviews too like we had with Eddie George a while back and do, do some of those every now and then. But we're 
getting closer to 2020 football season camp if it happens is going to start here in a couple of weeks we're coasting toward july so we'll have more to talk about as ohio state gears up for that season what this camp might look like um, as they try to finish out this number one recruiting class we'll cover it all Uh, thanks so much for listening and sticking with us and being patient with us while we're off for a couple weeks and we'll talk to you guys next week Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.